anyways, it's great to be able to worship with you this morning, to be able to celebrate God's goodness and all that he is doing. Um, on this day in 1933, construction began on the Golden Gate Bridge. It came as a result of both opportunity and suffering, but the result offered hope and prosperity. The gold rush of the mid-1800s had already driven many to the San Francisco region, yet the San Francisco Bay posed a great obstacle to expansion. Add to it the fact that in 1933, the nation was just coming out of what was known as the Great Depression. In other words, people needed jobs, something that bridge construction would immediately provide. And although the bridge would not be officially completed until 1937, on this day in 1933, the people celebrated a new hope in that region of California. In similar fashion, today is a, new, is a day of new hope for us. It is a new year with new potential challenges and new potential blessings. It is an opportunity at a fresh start with new ideas or the resurrection of some old ideas that have unfortunately fallen by the wayside. In 1933, it was likely that those who had suffered the most throughout the Great Depression were the ones who were most excited about this new day. And likewise, I would imagine that those of us who have had the most difficult time in 2020 will be most excited about this new day. I will tell you that on Friday night when the clock turned over to 2021, there was a part of me that just kind of had this deep breath like, we made it. Uh, we weren't really sure if we were going to make it. As we enter into 2021, my prayer is that God will grant you a better present and future than what we have experienced in the recent past. If you've had a great year, I still pray for a better 2021. I do hope that God will bless you and that he will, that you will be able to greatly rejoice over that blessing when 2022 rolls around. But I also want to encourage you to realize that God is faithful even in difficulty. Even when complications arise in our lives, God is faithful. In fact, the difficulty you experience often creates an opportunity to personally encounter God's goodness and grace in your lives. Or more accurately, it reveals to us that his goodness has always been there. Oftentimes, we simply have taken it for granted. Let me take this as an opportunity to introduce to you where we are going as a church for the upcoming year. There is no doubt that the scriptures are ripe with great stories of God's provision and blessing. We're talking about thousands of years of stories from the moment of creation to the flood to God's blessing upon Israel to God's deliverance in response to repentance and all the way through the book of Revelation, God's word serves as a historical record of the ways that God has shown up. It includes instructions, guidelines, poetry, words of wisdom. And although it is entirely inspired by God, it even reveals the humanity of those who recorded it 
People like Moses and David and Solomon and Paul, all imperfect vessels whom God used to relay his perfect plan to the world. But there is one who is perfect. And while there is much to be gained by considering the words and the interactions of these other individuals, there is even greater value in knowing the words and interactions of that perfect one, Jesus Christ. As such, throughout 2021, my goal for our church is that we would truly get to know Jesus above everything else. Our theme for the year will be Jesus Stories. It will include getting to know the scriptures and digging in to see the impact of these Jesus encounters, as well as the lessons that he proclaimed. But it should also have a direct application to each of us. You see, as we talk about Jesus stories, we're not just talking about something that occurred 2,000 years ago. Certainly, there is a historical element to this, but I believe that new Jesus stories are still being written. When a sinner finds forgiveness through Christ, a new Jesus story is written. When an addict is set free through the grace of Jesus, a new Jesus story is written. When a marital relationship is either formed or repaired, making what was wrong into something that is right through the transforming power of Christ, a new Jesus story is written. And when God shows up in the midst of a crisis, a new Jesus story is written. You see, this is not just historical. This is what God longs to do in and through you and me now. As we start down this path, I want us to look at a passage that reveals an early encounter with Jesus. It's a familiar passage. It comes from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2, and I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn there. I say it's early in his ministry a little bit, and that's primarily because of the fact that Jesus is still in the process of recruiting his disciples, yet his ministry has clearly already begun. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 12. It may sound very familiar to you, but I want us to look at it today through fresh eyes. I want us to see beyond the Sunday school story and to connect the dots to where we are today. Look at it with me. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up? Pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you, 
that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Now, can you imagine church service turning into something like that? Where all of a sudden, everybody's just kind of sitting around listening, and now you're watching this event take place. People are ripping holes in the roof. Jesus is talking about people's sins being forgiven, and other people are complaining about it. Well, actually, I I could picture most of that, not the hole in the roof, hopefully. But there was something much bigger that was taking place that day. You see, Jesus was doing something incredible, and it was something that would change everybody's perspective. Now, I will say in Mark chapter 1, Jesus begins his ministry with what I would call a bang. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and he starts calling other disciples to, to join him, two things that are relatively common in that day. But then Jesus begins to show that he's not just like everybody else. We're told that he's casting out demons, he is healing incurable diseases, and he is preaching to those in the synagogue. Apparently, Jesus had a message that was worth listening to because people were coming. There were probably others who were speaking, but as he spoke, people listened. And then Jesus comes home. You know, as we've talked about this story so many times before, our attention is automatically drawn to the friends who bring this man to Jesus. Our attention is naturally drawn to the healing and the forgiveness that is granted to this man, and maybe even to the doubt that occurs among the watching crowd. And certainly we'll look at all of those things in a few moments, but I want to draw your attention to two other things first this morning. The first deals with the eagerness within the community to hear Jesus, and the other deals with the difficulties, the complications which are described in this story. Consider first the eagerness within the community. As Jesus returns home, the community was eager for his message of hope. Remember that Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue while he was in Galilee, which means that everybody in his hometown could have likely waited until the Sabbath when Jesus would once again teach in the synagogue. But the community couldn't wait. It is likely that some came that day looking for a cure, for his healing power. He was already doing, he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick. Others came for curiosity, just to see if what they were hearing was true. But on this day, the house where he was staying was packed. It was so full that people couldn't even get in the front door. People came because they wanted to see Jesus. By the way, as I was preparing for this message, I thought of something else that's pretty important, but it's never really clicked in my mind before. 
If an individual had a known ailment like a rash or leprosy, being blind or maybe even being lame, they were considered unclean. As such, there were certain places that they would not be permitted. I guess it was kind of like (laughs) COVID-19. Everybody assumed that you were contagious and you being in a crowd was a big no-no. In addition, such ailments were viewed as evidence that you were being punished by God. It was the result of some type of sin in your life. So not only were you assumed to be infectious, but you were assumed to be deserving of what you got. As such, you weren't allowed in, say, the teaching area of the synagogue. In other words, perhaps many filled the house that night with Jesus because they wouldn't have been welcomed in the synagogue on the Sabbath. If they were going to have an encounter with Jesus, they would actually have to come to where he was. And so they do. Now I picture the crowd that gathers that day as being filled with sinners and supposed saints. Understand what I mean by that. You have these unclean spirits these unclean spirits that just want hope and healing. Some of them, really, they've they've lived ungodly lives. We'll see later on individuals who are brought to Jesus, individuals who will come to Jesus knowing that they are filled with filthiness and sin. Those are the ones who are coming to Jesus looking for his grace. But you also have these religious characters who show up at a random time, in a random house, to hear what Jesus had to say. I know that they'll reveal their skeptic and judgmental hearts later in our story, but their mere presence suggests that they too may have been looking for something that was greater than what they already knew. You see, they had been to the synagogue. They knew the law. They knew the expectations of God. None of it compared to the stories they were hearing about Jesus. So maybe all of these quote-unquote religious people were actually just looking for something that was real. Can you imagine being one who had been raised in the church all of your life? You've heard people talk about the power of God. You've heard people talk about hope. You've heard people cry out for transformation but all you've actually seen is despair. There's a lot of talk, but no evidence of real power. It's almost like what Paul described when he talked about a time when people would take on a form of godliness yet deny its power. Maybe even the skeptics in this story were searching for something more. In this case, community does bring hope. It doesn't bring hope, but rather it reveals hope is probably a better way to look at it. And maybe that's what needs to happen in the church in 2021. What if we could take a darkened world and show them that there is light? What if we once again made the church a place where sinners were welcomed? Lives were truly being transformed and needs were being met. And I don't mean us just talking about transformation, hope, or redemption. I mean the actual power of God being revealed in action. 
I suggest to you that if that truly happened, then we wouldn't have enough room in our sanctuary or our family life center to hold all the people that would come. Our world is desperately in need of something real that people will respond when they see it. I do believe that if if we truly have the Spirit of God present in our services, there will be reason for people to come. I won't have to go inviting everybody. You won't have to go inviting everybody because people are going to look and they're going to say, there's something happening over there and I want to be a part of it. I believe today that that same spirit that was present in that house where people gathered to the point that, man, they probably didn't want to be on top of each other, but here they are on top of each other and they didn't care because they weren't there for everybody else. They wanted so much to be with Jesus. The other thing that I really want you to see here is that true hope is often found in our, what I'll call complications, our difficulties. History doesn't tell us how long this man had been lame, but it is likely that his inability to walk was not what he or his parents had dreamed of for him. At a minimum, this would have been a complication in his life. Making things worse would be the fact that although there were physicians in that day, none were able to do anything about it. You've heard me share previously that back in the 90s, I had a significant spinal injury, which eventually the Lord would choose to heal for me. When talking surgery, the doctors gave me a 50-50 chance of improvement, not healing, just improvement. Well, imagine that 50-50 chance being cut to about one in a thousand. The point is, nobody can help. I wonder if you ever felt completely hopeless. I wonder if you ever asked God the why question. I wonder if you ever wondered about the seemingly absent power of God to heal him. I wonder if you ever wondered how anything good could ever come of this. I picture a man who was likely tired of being broken, both physically and emotionally. By the way, those are all feelings I had when I went through that with my back injury. I don't think I was the only one. So when I suggest that about this man and all of those thoughts that likely went through his mind, my guess is that many of us have experienced the exact same thing. But God was about to do something good through this man's brokenness. Clearly, there were many people present that day for different reasons, but this man has come for one reason. He is physically lame, and there is hope that perhaps he can find healing through this man named Jesus. And hope is exactly what he would find in Christ. But before we get to that point, we've already talked about how we find hope in the community, we find hope in our complications. We're gonna talk about the hope we find in Christ. But before we get to that, I want you to consider the fact that although this house was full that day, there were many in town who didn't come. 
They were out taking care of their animals or cleaning their house or playing games or whatever else you did with your free time back then. Perhaps, if not for this man's physical limitations, if not for his difficulty, he too would have missed this event. The point is that his complications are what caused him to seek Jesus Christ. Nobody wants difficulty. Nobody wants hardship. But it is often in the midst of our hardship that we are reminded of how much we truly need the Lord's help. And ironically, the things that we are crying out for are typically not the only problems that need work. A great example of this is seen in this particular story. As a man is lying in front of Jesus, the entire crowd knows what this man has come looking for. It's likely that his friends knew exactly what they wanted that day. They all knew that their hope was in Jesus Christ. They wanted to see their friend walk again. But Jesus sees their faith. And instead, he grants this man forgiveness of sin. You see, he came for physical healing. But Jesus recognized that there was a bigger issue that was in play. He also needed spiritual healing. You see, even if Jesus chose to physically heal this man on that day, if the sin problem wasn't addressed, he'd still be, well, at least he'd be walking, but he'd be walking around in defeat for the rest of his life. So often we look at the problems within our lives and we, we think we've got it all figured out. If, if God would just give me enough money, if God would just heal me of my physical ailment, if God would just set me free from this addiction, if God would just help my children make better decisions, if God would just make someone love me, then everything else in my life would be good. But we are wrong. God's greatest desire is not for you to be physically, financially, or relationally blessed Man, I love the fact that he chooses to do that sometimes. But that is not the greatest desire he has for you. God's greatest desire is for you to be redeemed, to be set free from sin, and for you to become fully dependent upon him in everything. It's not only his greatest desire, but it is your greatest need, whether you realize it or not. If God were to fix all the other broken pieces in your life, yet ignore the greatest need that you'll ever have, then he really wouldn't be that good of a God. Listen to me for a moment. I pray that God will meet your every need. But I pray even more that he would forgive your sins and that he would redeem you for all eternity. Matthew 6, says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto us. So seek him with all your heart and let him worry about all these other things. I have one last thing that I want you to see here today is the idea that often hope is found not only in 
in community. Not only in crisis or our complications, it is found in Christ, but it is also found even in our companions or the company that we keep. The easiest way to look at this is basically by looking at these four friends. Without his four friends, this man would have been unable to get to Jesus. Not only did they physically carry him, but they were so determined to get him there that they tore a hole in the roof to get him basically center stage. By the way, I never really paid much attention to this. I always just kind of figured Jesus was teaching at somebody else's house. Actually, if you look at the beginning of the story, it says it was the place where Jesus was staying. You're telling me you're going to tear a hole in Jesus's roof? I don't know if I want to do that. I want to suggest to you that these are the kind of friends that you want in your life. Even more so, this is the kind of friend that you ought to be to others in your life. These four friends sacrificed their own time and their energy. They risked everything, tearing a hole in the roof of someone's house. They didn't care what other people thought. In that moment, all they could think about was the fact that their friend was in need and Jesus was the only one who could help. Be that kind of friend. I've often heard that we need to be joy-filled friends. That means we need to put Jesus first, that's the J, then others second, that's the O, and then you last, that's the Y. In doing so, we will bring incredible joy to those who are in our lives. But there's another element to this point. We're talking about the potential impact of our companions or the company that we keep. What about the spiritual impact of such relationships? This comes from an obscure section of the passage that we often skip over because it doesn't fit the theology of most in the church today. But I want you to look again at verses three through five. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And then listen to this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Listen to that again. Seeing their faith, Jesus forgave this man's sins. And I'm going to tell you, growing up, I was told that anyone who believes upon the name of Jesus Christ could be saved. I was told that if I confess my sins, then my sins could be forgiven. I was told that when I stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, there will be nobody else to point the finger of blame or guilt at. And I still believe that all of those statements are true and accurate to the scriptures. However, I cannot ignore the fact that Jesus saw the faith of these other men and as a result, he chose to grant forgiveness to this man over here. As I process this thought, there are all sorts of faces that go through my mind. 
I think of family members, friends that I play ball with, even some people connected to the church already. And I have been praying for their salvation for a long, long time. My prayer is that they will eventually reach a point of full surrender to Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and have their sins forgiven. And I will strive toward that end all the days of my life. But if that doesn't come, I pray that God would look upon my faith I pray that my faith would be so strong that God would look upon my faith and grant them forgiveness of sin. Please note that this does not absolve us from the call of God to bring our faith to others. In fact, if anything, this passage suggests the opposite. We must share Christ with those we love. I had somebody stop by the church here this past week. He acknowledged that he hadn't been in church as much as he should, but he wanted to share with me about how God had worked. He said it was two Easter's ago that I specifically challenged people to share their faith with family and friends. And apparently he responded, raised his hand, committed to do so. He went home that day, shared the gospel with his mom. She was not in the best of health, but she was coherent and responded to the message of Christ. He prayed with her. Her sins were forgiven that day, and not long after that, dementia took over her mind. Two weeks ago, his mom passed away. He said that it was the peace of knowing that his mom was ready for eternity that had helped him so much over the past couple weeks. Him sharing his faith was important, and it is for you too. Let me suggest to you this morning that your faith is exactly what others need. Maybe it's your child or your spouse or your coworker. Be the friend that they actually need. Introduce them to faith in Christ while you and they have the opportunity. And maybe... That's legitimately not an option for you. The door of communication may be closed on some of the people that we want to share our faith with. And if that's the case, I pray that Christ would see not just a faith that you talk about, but one that dictates how you live your life and everything about you. I pray that Christ would see your faith and in turn would grant them forgiveness. That's a really odd principle because... This just doesn't fit with the way I've been taught. But I want my faith to be so real that it splashes out on other people. When I come in contact with them, that it can't just stay within me, but rather everyone I come in contact with, they become beneficiaries of the faith that God has placed in me. And I want the same thing for you. I want your faith to be so real. I want the Spirit of God to be so real in your life. That every time you come in contact with someone else, they look at you and they know, man, I don't know what it is about that guy, but there is something really different. I don't know what it is about that lady, but I know that, man, whatever it is, I want it. That's my prayer for you. 
I want 2021 to be the best year that you've ever had, but I don't want it to be because you got more money than you've ever had. If you get that great, I'll celebrate it. Your tithe will look wonderful. I want it to be because the Spirit of God is alive in you and so filled you that you can't just keep it in. It splashes out on everybody else. What happened on this particular day? At the end of the story, this man jumps up, takes his mat, and walks out through everybody else. And even those skeptics who were worried about him saying, son, your sins are forgiven, they're just looking, wow. And allow the Spirit of God to work in you so that the world around you can look and say, wow. If you would, bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, well, we are praying for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit in each of us. Father, I pray that you would forgive sins where we have allowed sin to remain. If there be anyone in this room that does not know you, I pray right now that you would grant forgiveness of sins. Allow us to start over fresh and anew right here. If there be those in here who even though we've called ourselves Christians and we've said a lot of the right things and we've made some good decisions along the way. If we have allowed sin to remain in us, I pray that right now you would change us from the inside out. But I pray that from this moment forward, we will not be identified by the sin that still hangs on to us, but rather we would be identified by the spirit of God that dwells in us flowing through us to the world around us. Father, I pray that this church in the year to come will be so filled with your spirit that we could not contain the power of God. Lord, I pray that you would work in us. There may be some who today are dealing with some of the things that we've talked about today. There are some who are probably dealing with some type of addiction there are marriages that perhaps they're not what they need to be. There are those with physical ailments that they can't fix on their own. Whatever the need is, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that the rest of the world could look and say, the God of the Bible is still alive in these people. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I told you earlier that the focus for this year will be Jesus stories. I do wonder how this man's life was changed because of his Jesus story. On the one hand, we know that he is physically healed. I would even imagine he might have become somewhat of a local celebrity, at least in that immediate community, at least for a short time. But I also guess that he probably became one of the greatest ambassadors for Christ in the years that would follow. He knew that Christ was more than just some guy who taught. He knew that he was more than just someone with good ideas. This was one who could change the world. If you know that, go out and you let the world around you know that you know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the one who is still all-powerful, still almighty. 
and who desires to do great things in our world and church today. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace. Come back next week expecting the Spirit of God to be with us.